We're digging into God's word to find out what the family of God should look like, but more importantly than what it looks like, but to find out how should the family of God relate to each other differently than clubs and other things that go on in the world. There should be a difference. In fact, on a supernatural level to the point that, yes, we're blessed, but that the world would also say, what is that? What is going on there? How do they do that? How do they sustain that? Our sins and our problems are evident to them, but wouldn't it be great if they also in the midst of the mess and the mix could see, but there's still something we don't have, something supernatural. So that's what we're talking about, how. And two weeks ago, if you recall, I talked to us about this radical love, the door to be demonstrating and expressing to each other, how we should love each other, rejoice with each other, weep with each other, forgive each other and speak the truth to each other. And now today I want us to dig into another passage that begins to unpack that even more because God doesn't leave it fuzzy and hope that we'll just figure it out. What would it look like? I want to show us what it would really look like to love and weep and speak the truth. Turn with me to Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five, I'm gonna begin reading in verse 13. Galatians chapter five, verse 13. And because the chapter divisions and verses were added centuries after the Bible was written, I'm gonna keep right on reading into Galatians six because it goes together. We're gonna to start in Galatians five thirteen, and I'm gonna read well into Galatians six. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not Inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passage and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk. In the spirit, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens 
and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now that passage right there talks about what matters most in the family of God. That has nothing to do with buildings, budgets, programs, or slick marketing plans. In fact, I believe when a group of believers, regardless of how small they are or how limited their resources might be, begin to live out the truth of what we just read right here, oh my goodness, God shows up in their midst in supernatural ways on their behalf as well as drawing lost people to Jesus Christ. That's the effects of this Being lived out. So, what I want to do with the time that remains is from these verses I just read, I want to show you what I believe are three characteristics of the family of God that money can't buy and the world can't deny when they see it in action. Number one, here's the first characteristic of the family of God the family of God should be characterized more by giving than by taking. Two weeks ago, I showed you from Romans 12, 9 and 10. The radical, the intensity of how we express love to each other that should be no different than outside your immediate family. It's not like we save that kind of love just for, no, no. I showed you how we, we should be expressing it on the same level that you would for your immediate family. And that same theme jumps off the pages In Galatians chapter 5, because four times the word love is used in Galatians 5, and it is that Greek word, what is it? Agape. Let's remind ourselves, what is agape love? It's not the brotherly love. It's not the filial love. It's not romantic sexual love. Agape love is a strong affection, a strong non-sexual affection. For someone else, you say, Brad, how do I know if I have that or not? It feels, it feels, never mind what it feels. He's going to tell you. As you search the scriptures, you'll see, you'll know it when you see it because it's characterized by a willingness to lay aside your own rights and privileges to give for the needs of another, expecting how much? Nothing in return. You're like, I can't do that. You're right. Not on your own. Not on my own. Because that is a description of the way God loves us, right? That's, God didn't just emote and have a certain kind of feeling. 
In the person of his son, Jesus Christ, he took on flesh and laid aside so many of his rights and privileges as God to become a servant and to take on flesh and to go all the way to death, even death on a cross for us. There's agape love. And he calls us all four times in Galatians 5 that the word love is used. It's that kind of love, agape love. So look at it again in Galatians 5, verse 13, 14. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. In other words, he's saying the whole book of Galatians, if you read the whole thing, is putting in contrast legalism under the law that all it did was stir up your flesh and make you want to sin more when the law breathes down your neck versus the freedom that we have in Christ now under the new covenant filled with the spirit under grace. And it doesn't mean now I'm free to do whatever I want and just take care of myself more and sin more. No, you're free. But he's like, don't use that freedom to indulge your own flesh. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through, say it, love. And here's what it looks like. Serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this, when, when the scribes and Pharisees wanted to put Jesus on the spot and said, there's so many laws. They had 613 additional laws that they had teased out of the original laws. It was such a mess. And they said, boil it down for us. What's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your as your self. So every time you see in the New Testament a reference to the law of Christ, you think, what is that? Is it a long list? No. Because even with his disciples on that final night in the upper room, John 13, he washed their feet and said, as I've served you and loved you, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. For by this will all the world know that's the law of Christ, love Love, love, not just a feeling, but a willingness to lay aside my own rights and privileges for the good of another, expecting nothing in return. Oh, there's so much more I could say about verses 13 and 14, but two weeks ago we unpacked love to a great extent. So I'm gonna let it go because there's something I want you to get in verse 15. That's where I wanna call your attention. What's going on in verse 15? I love how the Bible is put together because it's put together by our creator, God. And things aren't just, he's not changing subjects in verse 15. So you're like, okay, there's love. And then we're talking about something else. No, no, no. Look at me. Verse 15 tells you what it looks like when you don't want to work on verse 13 and 14. What's it say in verse 15? But if you bite and devour one another. Beware lest you be consumed by one another. And he's talking to Christians. Can Christians bite and devour each other? Oh my word. It's one of the reasons the world says, I don't need that. We bite and devour each other at work with lost people. We bite and devour at the, at the sailing club. We bite and devour every Christmas with my extended family. I don't need any more bite and devour. I got plenty of that. Got wounds all over. And so it's It's horrible. He's talking to believers. If you bite and devour. See, here's what you need to understand. The absence of agape love. The lack of cultivating agape love doesn't just leave you neutral 
or disinterested towards others around you. It makes you a consumer so that you bite and devour. See, the Bible never talks about any places of neutrality. It's always put off, put on, don't do that and just do nothing. No, instead of that, this. And so when you're not leaning into love, giving to the needs of another, you're not just neutral. You're a consumer. You're a devourer. You bite. All the while complaining that nobody cares about you and everyone seems to let you down to some degree or another. Maybe you're thinking, I hope. Okay, I don't want to bite. I don't want to devour. But Brad, how do I consistently cultivate this kind of agape love and this kind of perspective towards others around me? This is not natural. Check, you got it. This is not my default setting. You got it. I would never think this way. You got it. When God saved you, he brought us into an upside down kingdom, right? First shall be last. Those who lead serve so much. This is radical. And so I've got really good news for you. If you say, I can't do this. Perfect. Love is mentioned four times in Galatians 5. The spirit is mentioned 10 times in Galatians 6. And there's a reason. Because you can't do this kind of love. You don't have this kind of love. This will never characterize you apart from the amazing work of God's spirit living inside you. And that's what's so beautiful about it. You don't have the resurrected Jesus Christ outside of you, cheering you on or behind you. If you're here and you know Jesus and you're a Christian, you've been forgiven The resurrected Jesus Christ, spirit of the living Christ with his resurrection power and his love that took him to the cross lives where? In you. Say, wow. But now here's, that's the good news. Here's some of the bad news. It's not automatic. Okay, so my second point that I want to make is true, but I want to tease it out a little bit and show you how it's just not an automatic. Number two, the family of God should be controlled by the spirit of God more than the flesh. But it's not automatic. So when you put your trust in Christ, did you get the spirit of God? Did you get a little bit and you got to work hard and take some classes and then you'll get more? There's some churches that teach that. There's levels and... You got him all because he's a person. He's not a liquid. He's a person. You either have him or you don't. You either have the spirit of Christ or you don't. Now, here's the deal. When the Bible talks about you being filled with the spirit, it's not because he's a liquid. It means you being controlled more. You got all of him. The question is, does he have all of you? Being filled with the spirit is the degree to which he starts to have more of me and I lean into him and I'm listening to him and I'm following him and I'm being led by him. And that's what Galatians 6 talks about. It's interesting. I wish I could tell you and I wish it was true in my own life that the moment you trusted Christ is like the spirit of God threw a big switch and a lever just ching. And I am now forevermore, once and for all, reoriented towards giving rather than taking, serving others rather than thinking of myself, blessing rather than biting. Not. But the potential is there. The possibility is there. All the power I need is there. 
Everything I need to renew my mind to think this way is there. I don't have to keep being a biter. But notice, here's where I'm getting this, that it's my choice and your choice to be led by the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit rather than to just keep on indulging my flesh and feeding my flesh and going with what I feel and want and think and sense. Look at verse 16. Look at the way it's worded. Walk. I say then, walk in the Spirit. It is in the command. In the Greek verb there, it's an imperative. You got to do it. It's not automatic. You got to do it. He's there, but you got to walk in the spirit. Look at verse 18. But if, interesting word, right? You might want to circle that. But if, if you are led by the spirit, could you not be? Could you ignore the spirit? Could you grieve the spirit? Could you quench the spirit? Those are words that are actually used in other letters of the New Testament. He's there. He's ready. But you got to be led by him. Instead of thinking, well, there's that, there's that sense. I don't think I should say that, but I will anyway. I don't think I should do that, but I'm going to. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. But here's my favorite way that he expresses it. Because he says, walk in the spirit, command. Be led by the spirit. And then verse 25. Verse 25 says... If we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Here's an example where the Greek is, is, is helpful. It's not the same word walk. So verse 16 and verse 25 are not saying exactly the same thing. Verse 25 is my favorite. Because literally in the original language, the word in verse 16 was your everyday common generic walk. Verse 25 is not. It was a different word that meant something more intense. It meant to conform to or be formed by or to get in line with in rank or to keep in step with. So I have written in my Bible, keep in step with the spirit. Verse 25. Don't you like that? Am I the only one? I like that. It's like the spirit is alive. He's walking into my workplace. He's, he's walking into my home when I launch out of bed. He's, and I want to keep in step with him, which means, think about it, I just need a little bit of a delay on everything I think and do and say, right? To keep in step. What is he doing? What, what is the leading of the spirit here? Should I say that? Should I not? Now, let me help you even more because you knew it was going to happen at some point in this message. It's much more likely you'll keep in step with the spirit. Does he just talk out loud? Don't say that. Say you love her. I haven't had that happen. You know what his favorite thing to do is? He brings to mind scripture I've been reading, right? When I need that. So if you're not reading God's word, kiss goodbye, keeping in step with the spirit. Here's the word of the spirit. I need to read it and feed on it and have my mind renewed so that I even begin to think these ways. And then hallelujah, when I fold, close my Bible and head off to work, the spirit doesn't stay there. He lives in me and can bring to mind the things of God. But I just need a little bit of a delay on, should I say that? Should I do that? What? Keep in step. Keep in step with the Spirit. 
But now here's what I think is interesting. If you grew up in the church at all, then you may be familiar with verses 16 through 25 in Galatians 5. The works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. It's a marvelous passage. Which, by the way, it's not like I got to cultivate each one of these fruits and there's a different way to do it. Good news. These are the fruits of the spirit. If you got the spirit, you've got this. He's cultivating these things in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. But you may have never noticed what bookends that passage of works of the flesh versus fruit of the spirit. Verse 15 and verse 26 bookend those passage, that passage that puts those two things in contrast. Because verse 15 describes what it looks like when you live without love agape love, and and you begin to bite and devour and consume other people instead of bless them and give. And that is so evident, right? It's like outbursts of wrath, envy, jealousy, sexual sin, on and on and on. We see that. That's not hard to pick up on. Oh, what's going on there? Verse 26 tells you why. Here's what it looks like. Verse 26 tells you what's going on in the heart Do you ever, whether it's somebody you live with or somebody you work with or someone who lives on your street, have you ever wondered why someone is such a biter? Like, why do they bite and consume and devour like they do? Verse 26 is Paul bringing up onto the table the heart of a biter to dissect it and show you what's going on. Because get this. Always know, here's here's what the Bible teaches. And this is what I love about the Bible. Many reasons, but here's one. God doesn't just tell us what things look like and say, stop that. The scripture is filled with what's the heart behind that? Why does this person do that? Because just put up stop signs that say, don't do that is not very helpful. But that's how some Christians operate with the Bible. The Bible gives us far more than that. Remember, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and he actually said in that same passage outbursts of anger sexual sin all these things come out of the heart he said it's not what a man or woman takes in that defiles them it's their own heart what is going on in the heart of someone that bites and consumes and devours verse 26 is what's going on so again it's not a random change of theme or thought Look at verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You say, Brad, what's going on? One thing. The person who is conceited, what he tells you is there's two directions that can play itself out. Provoking one another. That is when you look at someone and you say, ah, you disgust me. What is your problem Why do you even exist? Why are you taking up space? I'm so much better than you. Envying is when you think, oh, I'll never be like her. Look at her. I'll never have all she has, be able to do all she does. I'll I'll never look like she looks. You're either provoking and looking down, thinking you're superior, or you're envying, looking up, feeling inferior, intimidated, and resentful. But let me tell you what you cannot do. In that moment, either direction, love them. Do you understand? So this can, you, this can go awry in two different ways. You can be constantly walking into a room thinking, I'm the smartest person here. 
I'm the most attractive person here. I'm the most together person here. Everybody is in my way and puts me out. That's a problem. That's conceited. But what sometimes we don't recognize, because the world would say that person that's just like, oh, I'm no good. Everybody's better. Uh, uh, They don't need a big self-esteem boost. They need more people to say, no, you're great. You're great. Now, they got that their whole life. They got a trophy, even though they're terrible in all their sports. They've had plenty of that. That didn't fix that. The conceited person who's thinking so much about themselves is either always looking down or also looking up and thinking, ah, it's still all about who? Me. Me. So we recognize the conceited version where we say, well, he's conceited. Oh, when I left my plane in Austria and my boat was parked in Miami, <laughs> we just use it twice a year. <laughs> okay, conceited. But sometimes we don't think the person standing by the potato chip bowl at small group. Hey. Just like I thought, nobody's talking to me. Look at them all. Such a click here. Get your butt moving towards somebody and reach out and talk and start a conversation and bless somebody. Who are you thinking about at the potato chip bowl? Self. Our world's made a huge mistake and it didn't solve anything when the whole school system and everything just went nuts over self-esteem and kids need to feel better about themselves. So tell them they're good at math, even if they're not. So now we got Americans that can't do math, but they think they can. Great. (laughs) Nobody wants to hire that. Right? It's like, that didn't solve it. The Bible says you love yourself plenty. It just looks different ways. Both of it is like, I deserve better. People should be. And so this, this person is always provoking and challenging and looking down at everybody. This person often is constantly offended. Know anybody like that? I'm mean. The cashier was rude. My roommate's rude. Person at work's rude. My neighbor's rude. Everybody. Did you ever notice You were part of every one of those situations. You. Now, I know there's rude people, but there's not that many. When you just think, why doesn't that happen to me? Because, not that I do this perfectly, but I'm going into stores thinking, I don't care how rude you are. I'm going to be friendly anyway. I'm going to look at your name tag and say, how's it going today, Joyce? And it's amazing. Have you ever leaned into that person that you can tell? I mean, I don't know what's going on with them, but mean, unfriendly. If you pull back also, then you say, oh, I hate it whenever she's mine at Thornton's. What if you were to start to be the friendliest person and to bless and to watch them warm up? I've seen it over and over and over. And oh, by the way, where are the Christians? You don't know what's going on in their life. Maybe they're in the middle of a horrible divorce. Maybe their child just overdosed on heroin. Maybe their husband just told her, I'm in love with somebody else. You have no idea. We're supposed to be filled with love, not going around with our finger in the wind, constantly assessing how we're being treated and how people responded to me. That person that is so often always offended is almost always a very conceited person. He says, here's what's going on in the heart of someone who's a biter and a devourer and a consumer. 
But now let me put it all together for you in chapter 6. So this is not like, okay, new thought. The chapter divisions and verses came much later. So picture this as a letter to the churches in Galatia. And he's been taught about love. He's been saying, don't be a biter and a devourer. Here's the works of the flesh. Here's the fruit of the spirit. And oh, by the way, here's the heart of someone who's always provoking or envying. And then he moves right on and says, brethren, brethren. If a man is overtaken in any trespass. So here's the third point I want to make. When you put these two, two things together, not perfectly, but you're doing them well, intentionally. Loving each other in a way that gives instead of taking. And keeping in step with the spirit and being led by the spirit instead of just feeding your own flesh. The possibility for something truly supernatural that we would never choose on our own. And the world doesn't see can begin to happen. And that's my third point. Number three, the family of God who's led by the spirit of God will start to care for the sins and sorrows of somebody besides themselves. I mean, on our own, is it not true? I got five kids. It doesn't matter if you have no kids. If you have one, if you have two, usually the sorrows and the sins and the difficulties and the trials and the suffering are enough to just consume you with you, is it not? Why would I take on somebody else? Why would I care? And I don't mean just care, like say a prayer for you. I mean, this, what we're about to look at is more than I'll say a prayer for you. It's like I would step into this and it's gonna cost me. And I already feel like I'm on the verge sometimes of I, I just can't do all, it's supernatural. And it's because of agape love. I'm laying aside my rights and privileges. And it's because I'm listening to the Spirit. I'm being led by the Spirit. So here we go. Let me show you what it looks like. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. I want to unpack for you with the time that I have left. And I'm mainly going to focus on verse 1. But here's the deal. In Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Paul is telling us how to help each other when you really love each other. And you're listening to the Spirit with two of the hardest things that we face in life. When you are trapped under a load of sin and you're just not seeing it, you're so stuck. And verse two, that's verse one. And verse two, when you are burdened, burdened with sorrow and suffering to some degree, and it's about to crush you. In both these instances, the family of God actually gets involved rather than just saying, well, I hope that works out for you because I got enough going on myself. Let's start with the sin problem in verse one. Look at verse one, Galatians six. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Oh, there's so much in that one verse. I wanna break it down for you to unpack because he's giving us details. He's giving us guidelines well, how would we do this? What would it look like? And I want to do it by asking you a series of questions. So about verse one. First question. Okay, here we go. When do you do this? What's he talking about? When do you do this? When do you move towards another brother or sister in Christ to help them with a sin that has really trapped them? Well, look carefully before you just jump with an answer. When do you talk to somebody else about their sin? Not a trick question. When they are overtaken by a trespass. 
you don't talk to each other about their sin every time you see sin. That'd be a lot of talking. And you would just feel peppered and picked apart like it's a, oh, oh, right there, that was complaining. Oh, and right there, that was a bad attitude. Sporting a dude, buddy, right there. And that was not serving. Oh, my goodness. Right? Because bring into tension, 1 Peter 4, 8, love. And it's all about love, right? Love, what does love do? Covers a multitude of what? You're like, okay, Brad, great. Totally confused now. Do I cover it because I'm loving or do I go and talk to them? Yes. Guess what you'll need? The spirit to discern. But let me help you with that discernment. That word overtaken really means, I mean, it's got them. They probably don't even see it anymore and they, they themselves are in pain and they don't know why. And you love them enough to go, they're Bind, it's a sin that blinds them and binds them. Does that make sense? It's, it's a habit, it's a pattern, it's something habituated to the point they don't even see it anymore. That's the whole point of this. They need help seeing this. They're not seeing what they need to see. All right, so it's not every time you see sin, you go. No, your first thought is, remember, if you were here two weeks ago, I get on my stallion of love and I see if we can gallop over that. I spank his flank. And I gallop over that sin and cover it with love. But if they're so stuck and it's hurting them and others close to them, all right, that's when you should do this. So you're not doing this all the time. Secondly, who do you do this? No, no. Secondly, who should do this? Who should be the ones doing this? Look at it again. Brethren, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are, and you're like... That's what I thought. The experts, pastors, elders, seminary trained, not me. Hope this goes well for you. Do it, big guy. Go talk. And literally in the Greek, it is you who have the spirit. You, you feel the trap I'm setting you up for? Who has the spirit? Oh, so who should be doing this? Oh, that was so weak. We're going to do it again. Who has the spirit? Every believer. Who should be doing this? There you go. I'll pray for you. (laughs) Right? I mean, if this is just top down, how much am I going to be aware of? There ought to be situations that I never even know of. But it's why we're in small groups with each other and we hang out with each other and we do life together. And we live. This is just happening on on all kinds of levels with less than perfect people that have no seminary training, but you're not doing it all the time, but you love someone enough to think, oh, all right. And you go, let me add this, you go asking questions, not making accusations. Let me ask you some questions about what's going on here. So it's not just all the time, every time, but they're overtaken in this. It's all believers. And notice who do we do this for or to? What's the first word that he leads out with in verse one? Brethren. Let me tell you why I'm making this point. I see Christians get this wrong all the time. It is not our job. God has not called us to be the sin police of the world. And I'm blowing my whistle saying that was a foul word right there, neighbor. You say that again and we won't cook out together. If I was at LA Fitness pointing out everyone using the F-bomb and everyone that's talking about getting drunk and everyone that's talking about sexual immorality and everyone that's being crude, I would be 
very ineffective for the Lord. Don't hear me saying it doesn't bother me. I love hearing that. No. But here's what it does. It breaks my heart. We are to be proclaiming the hope of Jesus Christ. Not pointing out sinful behavior to believers. And you say, what's your point, Brad? Here's my point. And it is so important. Whether you intend it or not, you will confuse and obscure the gospel if your focus with unbelievers is pointing out sinful behavior. You know why? Because you'll play right into what they already think that breaks my heart that's so wrong. They think Christianity is nothing more than a system of morality with a list of do's and don'ts. And you got to clean yourself up and get your act together and start living differently. And these Christians are people that have done that. And they just judge all the rest of us and think that they're better than us. You step right into it. As you hear all the confusion... And some of the ugliness. Look for opportunities to proclaim Christ. And as you build relationships of friendship, guess what's going to happen? Some of life is going to hurt bad enough. And they're going to be in situations that if you've built a friendship, they will ask you for the reason, for the hope that is within you. But if you've already driven them away with your, you shouldn't be doing that. And you shouldn't be doing that. Don't ever say that around me again. Please know I'm a Christian. They won't turn to you. Quiet now. Something very important is at stake, folks. The gospel. The gospel is more than a system of morality. We're not doing this with unbelievers. It's with believers, brethren. It's with those of us that are filled with the Spirit that have made a commitment to Christ and have said, I want to be more like Christ. I want it to be less of me. I want to put off and put on. Therefore, I need help sometimes seeing what I'm not seeing about myself. Not unbelievers, believers. And what are you doing when you go? Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, what's the next word? Restore such a one. That word restore is a marvelous Greek word. It is a word that meant to set something in place. Set something back in place that is out of place, out of joint. It was a word that was used to mend nets and it was a medical word that was used to set a bone in place that's out of joint or broken. And get this, to stay there long enough for real healing to take place. So that indicates something to us. This is not a drive-by shooting where I see what's going on in your life. I roll my spiritual window down. As I go by, I'm like, that ain't good. Bad. Next time I come by, be done doing that. It's not a drive-by rebuke. It's you come in love and you're there to help and to hold it in place long enough for real healing to take. Does that sound like it might take time? Yeah. Sound like it might cost you? Yeah. This is what he's talking about. Sound like you might not be able to do this with 12 people at once? That's fine. But what if everybody was doing a little? Restore such one. The other thing that that word gives us an indication about is the essence of what sins really get us stuck the most. Because we're talking about overtaken, not just sin. Here's what I think is interesting. In light of that word restore, since it's talking about to set a bone or to put something back in joint that is dislocated, I think the indication there is these are sins very often 
that we don't see it because we think this is good. Isn't it good? So it's not something outside of us, foreign to us, like a bullet or a splinter that we need to get out. The sins that get us the most, that blind us and bind us, are those that are within us that it's good. But now it's out of place in my life. So it's causing me pain and others. You say, Brad, all right, what are you talking about? Give you some examples. Sex is good. God thought of it. But he also gave us the context for where this is good and pleasurable. And so for some of you, sex is good. God created it, but it is out of place in your life. Out of joint. Because you're committing fornication. You're you're practicing friends with benefits. I don't really love her. I don't love him. But hey, you know, we live in a sexual society and this is pleasurable. Out of joint. Sex is good. And God said in the marriage bed, in a context of commitment. Otherwise, there's pain coming. You were never designed to just go from bed to bed to bed to bed with no commitment and no sense. Will I hear from them again? What do they really think? No. Pain. Sex is good. But you say, well, all right. I'm married, but I'm having sex with someone not my spouse. No, that's adultery. Okay, my sexuality is good and God made me a sexual being. Surely I should express that. But I'm involved in a same-sex relationship. No. And notice what I just did. Fornication, adultery, homosexuality. I hope you heard me put all sexual sin on the same level. You did not hear me say, that is so perverted and disjointed. No, all of it is perverted and disjointed. All of us are sinners and you can go wrong in any number of ways. And then there's pain. Pain. But it's rooted in something actually good. Does that make sense? But it's out of place. It's out of joint. Sex is not the only thing that can get out of place. Career, work, it's good. God made us in his image, which means we're workers. We like creating, working, it's good. But the moment you cross the line and you allow my entire identity is now consumed by my vocation. I'm not just a doctor or a carpenter or or whatever. I'm sorry, I don't just do those things. I am, I am that. My whole identity, ooh, that's gonna lead to some real pain. It's out of place. Marriage, family, parenting, good or bad? Good. But the moment you cross the line and it's like, oh, it's so good to be a parent and I love having kids and I am a mother. It's my whole identity. I've waited for this and I've longed for this and oh, I hope it never ends. And my email is mommy5 at gmail.com. Oh, oh, listen to me. When you go from loving your children to worshiping your children, you actually need them more than they need you because it's my whole identity and how they turn out and what they do is the measure of good day, bad day. And and am I, my sense of self-worth, oh, get ready for pain in truckloads. If it's not here yet, it's coming. God didn't design any of these good things to be out of place in your life so that now it's a God thing and it brings pain. But here's what's interesting. These are the times that sometimes we don't even see it. We just think, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't, you know there's pain. Someone else sometimes has to, and again, I said, go asking what? Questions. You know, tell me some more. And sometimes you can, now here's the thing you need to understand as we track with this metaphor. 
when you, by God's grace, filled with the Spirit, and you've prayed, and you're going in love, go to help someone who something's out of joint, they may not thank you at first. Have you ever seen someone that has something out of joint? Even if it's a little off. That's just a little out. A little hurts a lot. And if you've ever seen it go down with a doctor or a sports trainer, someone is screaming, right? Elbow, shoulder, whatever it is. The person who goes to put it back in place, what do they do next? Really scream for a moment. What has to happen really hurts. And then the pain stops. They may not thank you at first. And you're going to need to be willing to go knowing that. Because these are the kind of sins that we need each other. We don't see it. We're, we're blind to it, bound by it. But then get this. It matters the heart attitude as you go. Doesn't matter what I'm thinking. Just go. Just do this thing. What's he say? You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And here's what I think is interesting. If you're thinking, okay, what would gentle look? Go slow, maybe. I'm just going to be gentle. There's something more helpful going on there. In the original, in the Greek, it's, it's not even a word that means gentle. It's a word that means humble. Track with me. If you're humble, you'll be gentle because you're saying to yourself, that could be me. If you're prideful and you're thinking, how could you? How did you get there? I would never. Yeah. You're going to be abrupt, harsh, herky-jerky. Please don't go. Humble. Spirit of humility. Thinking, that could be me. That has been me. And you'll be gentle. Spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So there's someone's trapped under a load of sin and just doesn't see it. Verse 2 is talking about a brother or sister who's under a weight or a burden of suffering and sorrow and is about to be crushed. Look at verse 2 again. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That word burden right there refers to anything, anything that is onerous, difficult, and it has the essence of it is oppressive. It's just about to choke the life out of them, whether it's emotionally or physically or financially. It's something onerous. Well, Brad, what does the word bear mean? Do I just point out some helpful tips to them? You know, you could do that better if you, you know, watch your stance under that burden. No, 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 no. The word bear is a word that means to step into it and take some of the load from them onto yourself. Not forever, because notice as the passage goes on, it says each one will bear their own load. In general, we bear our own loads, but there's times, seasons, where we bear a burden for someone else. And we, you say, Brad, wait a minute. That sounds like that might cost me. Yeah. You're not just giving out advice. You step under it and take some of the load from them onto yourself. And here's the way, way you, I wish I could develop this more, but let me just get you to think about this. What would that look like? To bear someone's burden well, you have to get close enough to other believers to know what their burdens are. That's why we're in small groups. 
mainly on Sunday morning, right? A lot of lying goes on. Hey, how's it going? Great, how are you? Liar, liar, liar. You're doing terrible. You had a terrible week. But this is not the place, and you know it. Like, let me vomit on you now, right before the song starts. No. Now, don't hear me saying, get in a small group, because you're going to share your deepest, darkest struggles. Come on, this week. See you there. But it's a place where you could as you feel safe enough and realize other people struggle like I do. I think they're not perfect, but I think they actually care. I could share this. And sometimes just the sharing of it, you feel better to know you're not alone. You gotta get close enough to other believers to know what their burdens are. You've gotta listen well enough to them to know what it might be that would help them the most. Often what we think is not. What would really help them? And then you gotta be willing to pay a price for it to cost you. On top of everything else you're already bearing in life, that you would bear this with them for a time, for a season. Love is costly, but you're also never more like your savior, right? You're never more like your savior than when you're loving other people instead of devouring other people. And think about it. You say, Brad, how can I do this? Why would I do this? Jesus didn't just step under the weight of our sin. Jesus stood and was crushed, crushed for our sin. Took the wrath of God on the cross, bore the penalty so that we could be forgiven and no condemnation and adopted, filled with the Holy Spirit, an inheritance in heaven, direct access to his throne day or night in prayer, the body of Christ around us, the word of God alive to us. Jesus did that for you, if you're a believer. And so that's why Paul would say, for the love of Christ compels me, compels me now to live this way. That I live for him who died and rose again instead of for myself. Isaiah 53 says this about our Savior. This is the one you say you follow. This is the one I want to follow. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Is it radical? Oh yeah. Is it possible? Oh yes. Is it supernatural? Yes. But that same Jesus that did that for you lives inside of you. And wants to lead you by his spirit to step in to sinful situations and help put a joint back in place. And to step under burdens and sorrows and to carry it a little bit. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for our savior, Jesus Christ. Apart from his death and resurrection, we could never do any of this. But thank you for your spirit living in us and your word. Oh, use us that the world might see and say, oh, wow, what is that? Tell me about that. Tell me about this Jesus. Tell me about this gospel. 
Tell me about this new life in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.